0: Hope Not Hate are basically controlling breath. Hope Not Hate, an alluring name for those about social justice and truth. These,
1: backwards, these backwards thinking, virtue sig- virtue signalling,
2: fake news Hello and welcome to the Hope Not Hate Podcast. Thank you for joining us and hopefully subscribing. Please tell all your friends and family you've discovered the best hate podcast.
3: Hate <laughs> podcast?
2: Oh <laughs> well, like- no, that would have been
3: good if you hadn't told We could have run with that. That's called humour, witty band.
2: <laughs> My name is Sophia, the Hope Not Hate journalist, and I'm sitting with Joe, our far-right expert, and Martin, our internet expert.
1: Hello. Hi there.
2: So this week we're going to be talking quite a bit about France. We're going to be discussing the NFL, France's immigrant Spider-Man and Tommy Robinson. I also had a chat with Yasser Louati, a French human rights activist, about France's identity crisis. And a housekeeping note before we start, we're recording this a week early, so if the far right do something particularly stupid next week, bear in mind (laughs) that we're not ignoring it. Uh, Now, Joe, do you want to tell us what happened to Stephen Lennon?
3: Yes, it's big news, remarkably big news, both in the UK and unfortunately it's also been a big story around the rest of the world. (laughs) Basically, Tommy Robinson, um, real name, Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, so I'm sure many of you know this guy. He's f- uh, founder of the English Defence League, the kind of far-right anti-Muslim street movement. He ran a group called Pegida UK, and then more recently he's uh, kind of set himself up as this so-called citizen journalist, if you will.
2: Is he a real journalist?
3: No, I would argue he's absolutely not a real journalist. But, I mean, and, and perhaps actually this is, this is part of the issue, right? So Tommy Robinson was arrested the other day. Um, he was arrested outside Leeds Crown Court. He was reporting live on kind of uh, putting a live. Stream video from outside a court of a rape case Um, and basically the reason he was arrested was uh, he was already on a suspended sentence for committing contempt during a rape trial in Canterbury where he was previously arrested so he knew knew what he was doing was illegal Um, and he was then arrested, he was charged again very quickly and instantly put in prison. Um, He's going down for about 13 months. Um, This is because then became a huge story. Um, It lit up a a fire amongst the far right in the UK. Mm -hmm. We saw big demonstrations um, outside Downing Street we saw over a thousand people the next day um, which is now when this podcast goes out would have been a, a few weeks ago but we had people down at the demonstration and the anger was really extreme.
2: So what was the anger about specifically?
3: Yeah well the problem is, is that it wasn't framed as what happened it wasn't framed about the fact that Tommy Robinson was actually pre, you know possibly prejudicing a court case for you know where making it much less likely that the victims would actually get justice Could it have crimes. led
2: to a mistrial?
3: Absolutely I mean if you, I mean the, the judges Themselves talked about how it it could have prejudiced the trial, it could have led to a mistrial, and it could have cost the public hundreds of grand for a retrial. And what's so uh, uh, disappointing about this is, of course, he knew that he was doing this. As I say, the reason he went to prison so quickly was because he was already on a suspended sentence for doing the same thing. Disappointing or deliberate, I think, is is an interesting question here because, like
1: you said, he'd done exactly the same thing somewhere else. He'd been given a suspended sentence. He knew he'd go to prison if he did it again. And he's walking around with a camera, yelling out almost. um, am I going to go to prison for this? Am I going to get arrested for this? And it all felt a little bit orchestrated and a little bit convenient that someone who, and like you said, the reaction, their hero has been put behind bars and, and now people are taking to the streets in defence of him.
2: Do you think the fact that he is going to prison is what is making him such a big hero? Well,
3: yes. I mean, basically, what we've seen the far right talking about, and, and as I say, this has been picked up around across the far right around the world, mm-hmm. is that he's a martyr who's been thrown in prison for purely criticising Islam. He's a martyr who's been thrown in prison for standing up for victims of rape gangs. Um, and and also then there was also the, there was kind of reporting restrictions for a few days around this, which added into this conspiratorial motion that there was a conspiracy to shut down Tommy just for criticising Islam, um, which of course is, is simply not true. And the problem is actually is many of the individuals who are pushing this line, big leaders in the far right around the world, know this is uh, not true. Many of them, of course, know that what he did was wrong, and, uh, and yet they, that's not stopping them. And the result has been they've whipped up a fury. And it's a fury that that anger is really. It might be misplaced, but the anger we saw at uh, some of the demonstrations in London a few weeks ago was really extreme. People climbing the gates of Downing Street, people pushing policemen, screaming. There was a really vitriolic anger there. Um, so they've whipped up a really dangerous thing based on something that's just not true. Um, and what happens with that is going to be really, really interesting and really really worrying. It does seem to become more
1: about the individual than the issue. I think if you watch some of the coverage, we, we were down obviously down at the at the rally on Whitehall the next day, and you see the sort of the way in which people are treating it that it's all about free Tommy, right? And, people and free f- speech. Well, I d- I'm not even sure if that's it for everyone. It definitely is for some people, but people are attaching their own feelings, whether it's anger towards Muslims, anger about the Islam Islamisation of Britain, etc., etc. Everyone's got their own individual take on it, and Tommy seems to be this unifying force that the individual is now attaching themselves to that is now behind bars and therefore needs needs saving or needs standing up
3: for. Yeah, I mean, and absolutely, I, I, I mean, of course, look, some of this is, like, really understandable. Anger, but right, if we look at some of these court cases that are going on, we're talking about large numbers of children being raped. This is absolutely disgraceful and disgusting, and and people are right to be extremely angry about this stuff. The problem is, is that what Tommy Robinson was doing was making it less likely that those kids would get justice. It made it less like he, you know, for his own for his own reputation, for his own trying to get you know good content to try and get big hits. I mean, and it was working. The video was being watched, had been watched about a quarter of a million times within an hour. Right, for him trying to get views. He almost prejudiced a trial that made it less likely these kids would mm-hmm. get uh, get actual justice, and that's what's so disgusting about what he was doing.
2: And he's put himself as these the defender of these children somewhere. That's what pe- some people are seeing him as, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, you know. A, a, and that's yeah. I mean, and that's what's ironic. What's dangerous is, of course, this. As I say, was picked up around the world. We saw Gert Wilders in Holland talking about mm-hmm. it. We saw Katie Hopkins on Fox News.
2: What did Katie Hopkins say? <coughs> because she probably, as a journalist, does understand the legal restrictions.
3: Well, she turned. My and said again that she went along the conspiratorial line about Tommy Robinson was arrested this is all about just because he spoke out about it she talked about it being a dark age and a really dark time at the moment uh, and of course Fox News lapped it up we also saw Infowars a kind of an American conspiratorial alternative site they've gone really really big on this
2: but wasn't it Infowars or there was someone who didn't speak up someone in the far right that didn't speak up for Tommy
3: well there has been a few people that have turned around and, and, turned around and said he was wrong in terms of that he, he you know it was right that he was arrested uh, countercurrents a kind of alt-right big white supremacist alt-right group run by a guy called Greg Johnson they came out and said that they didn't defend him Nigel Farage in the UK has actually uh, been less than supportive so it's not everyone but this it's what I find so interesting at the moment is the sort of
1: the coming together of these figures across a huge spectrum of political ideology or whatever you want to call it that seem to be unified at one moment and then disparate at the next because they don't all agree they all not also don't all have the same motivations but this Tommy thing is fascinating I think because there was the, the message spread like wildfire and it was a coherent narrative that went through social media really effectively they were all talking about the same things Tommy pled guilty because he was forced to because he got a bad solicitor or Tommy
2: mm-hmm. wasn't
1: offered a lawyer all of these things you could see them spread by the same messengers from different parts of the far right internationally with huge uh, followings with huge reach um, the, the fact that the reporting restrictions were in place then created this vacuum that allowed it to be filled mm-hmm. by this very very strong conspiracy
2: and I think we have- have to mention Stephanie Finnegan, who is actually the reason that she successfully made a case against the reporting restrictions, and they were lifted. Kind of the proper way of doing journalism.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with both your points. Martins, I think, was was really strong. The way we saw coherent messaging kind of run through the and across the far right just shows how these messages spread in, in, in the online space now. Um, and it, this became. I mean, we're just talking. I mean, it got as big as Donald Trump Jr. was tweeting about this. Um, we've just seen Mer- Meghan Merkel's as it was half-sister has been tweeting about this. (laughs) Again,
2: Um, you can't choose your family.
3: (laughs) No, absolutely not. Uh, But then, you know, Act for America. Act for America is probably the largest anti-Muslim Islamophobic organisation in America. It has, they claim to have three quarters of a million members, they've got over a thousand branches. Act
2: for America. The thing about these names is that you have no clue what it stands for. Like, if you told me Act for America, I'd say grassroots activists, which technically, in a way, they are. Yeah,
3: well, they kind of argue that they are uh, national security NRA, is their kind of line on this. But they put out an email to all of their supporters, asking them to support Tommy. So there's also the question that he's no doubt receiving a huge windfall of funds for all of this. This will be raising huge amounts of money as yeah, well. Yeah, I think what's
1: really clear is that he's laid a lot of groundwork in the last few months that allows him to be as powerful from behind bars than he would be out with his phone in people's faces anyway. That's a scary he's, thought. He's Maybe a, more powerful. He's got, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a strong team. They can mobilise at any given moment, and now we're seeing people crop up from all over the place, like you said, offering him money, offering him support. That His effectiveness being uh, in prison is arguably stronger mm.
3: and that's really dangerous yeah. I mean we probably need to wrap up I mean as this podcast goes out when, when this goes out the, the demonstration has been called for tomorrow in um, in London again Whitehall lots of talk about it being a big demonstration so we'll have to see of course we're recording this a week early so we'll have to work out we don't mm-hmm. know a huge amount about it at the moment but um, that could be a big story that we could perhaps obviously check the Hope Not Hate website check our Twitter feed and we'll certainly be covering it so if you need information on that we'll make sure we get it to you
2: uh, moving on to the NFL has that also been an international story?
1: Uh, yeah, the NFL is not something that I think we would usually talk about here at Hope Not Hate. Uh, but interesting news, uh, this is the American Football League in America, as you'd expect. Um that their owners have announced a new league-wide rule uh, regarding the National Anthem, something that's caused a lot of controversy in the league for the last couple of seasons.
2: Yeah, uh, this isn't new, is it?
1: No, you know, it all came to light back in 2016 where a player, quarterback Colin Kaepernick, uh, took a knee during the National Anthem. Um, and at first, people were, weren't sure what was going on. He came out immediately and sort of explained he, he was taking a political stance against police brutality and the treatment of black young black people uh, in America. Um, there was huge... Outrage, but also a sort of galvanising force among the players. That more and more players started um, following on Colin Kaepernick's uh, lead. Colin's uh, been—I
2: uh, mean, he's an activist Colin, do, now, right? Do you know him?
1: <laughs> 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 Colin—I mean, Colin—we can call him Colin from now. Colin ended up g- getting chucked out of the league. Basically, like, a fairly talented player, one could argue. He, plays, <laughs> he, he <laughs> played <laughs> flattering the Do you actually the watch race? the NFL? Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a big American football fan. So it's interesting to, to understand that, like, someone who he was—he had been in the Super Bowl about two or three years prior to that and at the end of the season where he started making a political statement, no one would give him a job. The following season, you know, a few players were still taking a knee but it wasn't really that prevalent and all of a sudden, lo and behold, Donald Trump comes along and ignites a fire under this whole thing. He went to a rally, I think it was down in Alabama, and he said that if any player on his team were to take a knee, that son of a bitch should be kicked off the team and never play again. And it was a huge rallying cry, you know, it played really well to his base, to his audience and the NFL, I think the players... most of the owners, everyone sort of involved, again, they sort of, they weren't happy about this at all, and you saw then a league wide sort of protest take place the following weeks, but unfortunately the narrative got completely lost, that all of a sudden this statement against, about, that originated about police brutality became all about patriotism and about respect for the American flag, you know, real hardcore values that appeal to a Donald Trump audience.
2: So Trump galvanized his supporters, but he also galvanized players into taking a knee. He managed
1: to do so, but he also managed to rip the issue away from them in such a way that if they, they then were making a value statement about how much they cared about the country and the military. I think it's also interesting to note, like, the origin of playing the national anthem and flying the flag at all sort of major American sports leagues is a post-9-11 scenario. It never used to exist. It wasn't a thing. In
2: schools, too, is, right? I mean, I mean,
1: it's, it's been made prevalent from the peewee football all the way up to the professional leagues, but it's a very much linked to the military and linked to a patriotic stand by a country that was obviously reacting to uh, attack on, on their land. Um, and it's
3: bled into sports, you know, and I think... And they take it seriously. I was once at a baseball <laughs> game in New York and someone screamed at me for not taking my hat off during the mm, National Anthem. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, this is, I mean, this is an interesting story. I'd, I'd argue perhaps it's the only thing that's ever been interesting to do with the NFL. <laughs> but
2: um, Not an NFL fan. That's
3: an absolute rubbish sport. Is it it a
2: competition thing, like you're a big English football fan? No,
3: not at all. There's nothing nationalistic about it. I just think it's rubbish. Um, But the thing I think that's most interesting about this is the utter... Like blatant hypocrisy we're seeing from people on the right wing around this issue Who have been spending four years, five years Crying about their, <laughs> the suppression of their free speech Who then go apoplectic about someone taking a knee And turn around and say actually not only shouldn't they be doing it We should legislate against it, we should fire them for it And these are the same exact people who have been crying About not being able to speak wherever they want on a campus for the last few years
2: Especially as this is not even speaking This is like the most peaceful type of political protest that I can imagine
1: Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they're now going to rip away. They're going to force people to be patriotic. I mean, if I was a an American, I would find that to be entirely un-American.
2: So it's either you 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 don't take a knee or you go in the locker room. Is that?
1: Yeah, you're true? allowed to hide in the locker room away from the cameras, away from where people want to have their display of. They're basically suppressing. Which their, removes their, the their whole political to, message. Exactly, entirely, and it's interesting to see that the wording of the statement is like they're not allowed to take a knee, but they, they it leaves I think uh, an opportunity to do other forms of political protest that perhaps we'll see a return to the raised fist that was obviously a huge, iconic
2: Can you imagine statement. those, if Obama had put pressure on the NFL for something. Like the reaction it would have caused. And this is exactly what happened. Trump, I mean there are, there is a, I don't know if there's a recording, but there are transcripts of Trump telling.
1: So what what we've got is sworn testimony from NFL owners who are currently in a legal battle against against Colin Kaepernick. Or he's taken the league to court basically saying they've shut him out and it's a labour dispute. Mm -hmm. And there's sworn testimony now in this uh, labour dispute from the owners who said that Donald Trump picked up the phone and said Said, this is a winning issue for me. Like I, like, I'm going to push this as far as I can go because this issue plays really well for me. And multiple owners have gone on the record and, and confirmed this. And like the overreach of government into this, and just that, I mean, the fact that Donald Trump is even doing this uh-huh. uh, rather than busying himself running the country is again just another classic example of his narcissism and his
3: very, very fragile ego. Um, and what are we, what, what are we gonna, what are people expecting to see on this? Um, are people gonna break this, or do we think what's gonna happen?
1: Well, I've seen one owner at least come out and say that he's happy to eat. The fine on a weekly basis if his players want to do that. It's actually my team, the New York Jets. So shout out to them. Is that why him?
2: you noticed it? Like maybe some of that was. I was very surprised. You
1: know? I was actually very surprised here because the actual owner of the Jets is the current U.S. ambassador to the U.K., Woody Johnson, who's a horrible. horrible he He's a
3: masterpiece of work, but it's
1: his brother who's now running the team. But I think what we'll see is like players will, will find different kinds of protests, but also like this could be a violation of their First Amendment rights, and there could be another whole legal mm-hmm. case that, that develops now. And well.
2: I think there's also well the race issue that NFL owners are, I think. white yeah
1: I think there's one non-white owner
2: doesn't represent the players at all
3: yeah of course it's never been the most progressive of sports leagues to be fair so well maybe maybe now I'll give the first maybe I'll become a Jets fan I'm supposed to be a Broncos fan but maybe I'll I'll watch the first game of the season and try not to fall asleep excellent
2: Um, I can't pledge the same but you know I encourage you all um Moving on to France. So this week we've seen an interesting story about a Malian, 22-year-old, Mamadou Gassama. He, his, his, the video went viral. He he scaled the four-story building to save a child that was hanging over a balcony in less than 30 seconds. Um, he's received French citizenship. Uh, the fire brigade offered him a job, which was great for him. And I think what's really interesting about this case is Mamadou is an undocumented migrant who came to to uh, France via a very dangerous journey and who actually told when he met um, Emmanuel Macron, he started telling him about the dangerous journey which he took. Um, and it brings interesting questions about France's immigration system. And I mean, Mamadou got citizenship because there's a special um, law in France that uh, if you perform a great service to the nation, you can get the citizenship and this qualified. Um, but it does bring interesting questions into play.
1: I think the most interesting question is that will Joe and I ever be able to scale even one story of a building?
2: Or <laughs> well, how I can long do we have to spend to the gym know,
1: before we can reach Speak for yourself. <laughs> speak yourself.
2: But, I mean, We've got a new goal in That video was mind. impressive. <laughs> that video was...
1: The video wow. was incredible. Um... And I think, like, what, what, they, he's going by Spider-Man. They've, they've dubbed him Spider-Man, Of course right? they have. Like, Which this is, is the media,
2: right? There's Spider-Man was... pictures everywhere. It was, was the closest video. I've seen
3: to... It's to an incredible... I mean, it's an, there's no doubt it's an incredible video. Uh, and it was, it's was it been talked about all over the world. Um, I mean, instantly, of course, we saw conspiracy theories from uh, elements of the far right turning around and saying this was obviously a put-up or a set-up. <laughs> um, I mean, a dangerous one if it was. <laughs> but, um,
2: but I think what's interesting about this case is that Mamadou has become a point-scoring exercise for both sides for both the right wing and left wing media they are both using him to make different points so for the left wing media it shows look how good immigrants are they should all be in the country and for the right wing it's like uh we just want this type of good immigrant and not the rest
1: you know usually when we see a muslim sounding name in the headlines it's associated with terrible terrible reasons and that's what we often if not always see reported that i Always breathe a huge sigh of relief to see a Muslim sounding name associated with something celebratory positive that 's bringing people together um, so on a, on, a, on, a, on a personal level and I think on a societal level there 's a, there's a huge benefit to us having this story out there. you know I, I agree that this good immigrant narrative is a really bad one that we need to mm-hmm. quash, but it 's an incremental battle right at least if we 're going to make I mean- some headlines. That's progress in some way. Is
2: it though? I mean I'm not saying we shouldn't combat, you know, the the horrible narratives that go on in the media where, you know, Muslims are in the media for the wrong reasons, but at the same time are we not entering in the game when we go, here's a good immigrant, you know, and every time they will bring out the story of the bad immigrant and then you're supposed to say, okay, if we believe the good immigrant, then we have to believe the bad immigrant too. So it's it's, it's yeah. I feel and like it's a dangerous of, slope.
3: There's lots of research on on how problematic that is as well. I mean, I think it's really interesting what you're saying about this being used by both sides, right? Um, and, I mean, I've spoken to some friends about this, and, and one of the things is that I've noticed that, say, the more progressive elements of the media have turned around and said, uh, challenged it and turned around exactly a lot of what you guys have been saying, saying that he's only been given documentation because he's done this amazing thing. Well, what about, why, why shouldn't all undocumented immigrants be given documentation? Or well, at least,
2: what about all the amazing things undocumented migrants do that are undocumented?
3: Yeah, and so just but but just wordplay. Word well, yeah, but just, just to play devil's advocate for a second, um, is lots of people. I think I think what most people would think, perhaps not kind of people who work for Hope Not Hate, right? But most people's p- knee-jerk reaction would be, um, people who turn up in a country without documentation should be sent home. And if uh, they do something amazing, then maybe that's the chance that they, there's a reason that they, we should let them stay. So I think it, that would be a.
2: Is that the threshold though? You have to do something, you know, superheroic, heroic, and then you can stay in the country.
3: Well, but the question is, well, I mean, I think, actually, I think generally speaking, a, a, a huge chunk of people would say that if you turn up in a country without documents, you shouldn't, you should be sent home no matter what you do. I've actually been waiting for
1: a number of years for a country to have a reality TV show where you could win a visa in some kind of way like this. <laughs> I, mean, so I don't what, think that we're that far off. You know what? We are the not that far away from
2: it. That. <laughs> Uh, I'm
3: just playing devil's advocate really But in terms of saying um, it, it, This has obviously brought in this question around what, what happens to undocumented people in mm-hmm. Europe um, There's huge amounts of undocumented people In Europe mm-hmm. and North America This is a really live debate And I just wonder you know, it's an incredibly difficult issue. and
1: It's is no easy
2: answer, really. But I do think they, it can't be ignored. Because do you think it's that become... it
1: helps someone like Macron in, on this issue by the fact that he's made this gesture? It lets him put it to one side for a while, or he can excuse yeah. not, ha- not taking inaction on addressing the larger issue?
2: Maybe, but the problem is, that's exactly the point. There is no addressing of the larger issue. It's become a rat race. You have people from refugees or migrants or whatever you want to call them coming from Afghanistan, from from un, you know reasons with un, uh, regions with unrest, and then they're sent to France, and then some of them are caught, and then they're sent back, and then it starts again, and it's just a co- constant cycle with no long long-term solutions.
1: Mm. Maybe Spider-Man can solve it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see. <laughs> Talking of France.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think-
1: it's an easy segue into our next segment, which is uh, the interview portion of the podcast. Sophia sat down with Yassalouati, Luati, a French human rights activist, um, and they discussed uh, a topic that's been gripping France uh, um, over the last couple of weeks, something that's uh, come up again. Uh, and this is a young girl whose name's Mariam Poutégeau.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Pouchetou? Pougetou? Pouchetou. Pouchetou. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: a that's young girl named... <laughs>
2: Sorry, it's just the way you said it was adorable. It was like a minion <laughs> name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they discuss a young girl named Marion uh who's been daring to wear her headscarf uh, while being filmed for a documentary.
2: Although daring is a strong word. She just happened to be wearing a headscarf while, wear, uh, while fi- being filmed in a documentary. The
1: crimes of being a Muslim, I guess. In France. Let's go ahead and have a listen.
2: Can you first describe what you do?
0: Okay, I'm, uh, I'm Yasser Louati. I'm a French human rights and civil liberties activist. My work uh, focuses mainly on racism and repression, and I'm the co founder of the Justice and Liberties for All Committee.
2: And can you explain what the whole Push through affair is?
0: Uh, well, the, uh, the Push through affair actually uh, is the new episode of the ongoing identity war which is raging in France. So um, the sixth channel interviewed. A student union leader, you know, as they were mobilizing against the Macron reforms, and whatever she said was obliterated, and the whole country focused. Actually, uh, pressure groups focused on uh, what she was wearing, meaning uh, a, a headscarf, and the the debate went from the the the, uh, the student mobilization at La Sorbonne University to Mrs. Marianne Pouchou having to justify herself. For wearing it and being thrown on the, under the bus by both, for example, which is uh, sad enough, the Minister for Women's Rights, and this is uh, Marlene Chapa, and of course, the, the Minister of Interior, Gerard Colombe, among others. Uh,
2: can you describe some of the reactions? Everything was centered around the fact that she was wearing a headscarf, am I right?
0: Exactly. Everything was centered about, you know, on on her uh, headscarf. Nothing about what she was saying or the mobilization that she was leading. So, for example, the Minister of Interior, Gérard Colombo compared her outfit to a call to join the Daesh terrorist group. Um, Marlene Schiappa, you know, uh, criticized her twice and said that she had, there was no place for her headscarf in public debate as a, as a new leader. Uh, but this criticism, as you can see, actually or I should say demonization, has been led by the left even before the right. Uh, so
2: you're saying it's not uh, the far right that's egging this on?
0: No, absolutely not. Every single identity hysteria that has been sparked was sparked, especially this year, by the left. Not you know any right-wing group or far-right one. No, it was the members of the Socialist Party, Uh, people who are revolving around uh, Charlie Hebdo, people revolving about the pressure group called uh, the Republican Spring, le printemps républicain. And the person who initiated uh, the demonization campaign is a person called Laurent Bouvet, who is a notorious uh, secular fundamentalist. To him, the definition of laïcité goes beyond the neutrality of the state, but also the neutrality of public space. And all the campaigns he, he launched were singling out Muslim women. So,
2: and can you just describe well, what happened with Manel?
0: So, Manel was a, a is a French singer who wears a headscarf, and she participated in a, a singing contest uh, on television. And she she was by far the best candidate, by far. I mean, like she was she was having uh, you know outrageous scores, and she was singled out for wearing the headscarf by the Republican Spring and Laurent Bouvet. And of course, uh, the demonization campaign lasted so long that she was uh, uh, she, she had no other solution but to resign uh, from the, the contest, even though she was predestined. To I mean, France demonized. has
2: had for quite a few years uh, a complicated relationship with uh, headscarves and laïcité, um, but... Uh, it's, it's still it's still allowed to wear a headscarf in public spaces. So what did the debate center around?
0: I mean, France as a whole didn't really have uh, a problem with the headscarf as a country. There has been uh, uh, there have been uh, uh, attempts in the eighties to have it prohibited, and, they, and those uh, attempts were in vain. The, uh, the highest authorities in the countries uh, backed the right of religious freedom and the right to wear it in public schools. But within 15 years, the tendency was reversed, and both the right and the left, the far right and the far left, agreed on singling out the uh, Muslim headscarf. And as a matter of fact, in the early 2000s, the, uh, the war against the headscarf was initiated by far left activists. Right, they're not the far right. It was far left activists who were targeting uh, high, school, uh, m- 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 high school students for wearing the headscarf. So today, uh, there have been, you know, what you're collecting today is actually a reframing of the racist narrative. Uh, before it was, of course, the superiority of, uh, the, of the white race over the rest. Uh, then it was reframed as the superiority of, of uh, one culture over the rest. And today, in the name of the so-called republican ideals, you have to banish Muslim religious visibility.
2: Mm-hmm. And I've 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 heard that there was quite a backlash uh, against Maryam. Have people spoken out against that?
0: Actually, many people. I mean, like the the people, the public figures, they all agreed on the pulling her out and demonising her. She found no support from the traditional political parties, okay? She didn't find support either from the right or the left. Um, she was singled out by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the, the person who pretends to be France's Jeremy Corbyn or Bernie Sanders, the the head of the... Uh, he ran
2: as a candidate, didn't he, in the last election?
0: Yes, in the last election, actually, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, you know, you know singled out Muslim women for wearing the burkini, And today he did the same thing by targeting Marianne pouche which is actually... An outrage because Jean-Luc Mélenchon is supposed to be the leader of the social movements. You know, he does, that's, his, uh, that's, what, uh, that's how he's both posing. And he did the same thing as the others. He completely muted whatever, you know, mobilization she was leading, and started, as we say in French, uh, yelling with the wolves. So uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon did, did, did that. Of course, former prime minister did it, you know, Manuel Valls, uh, Charlie Hebdo, Pictured her as a monkey. That was
2: actually my next question because Charlie Hebdo, the French satirist magazine, they published a cartoon of her with a caricature of like ape like coarse features. Has this caused outrage in France?
0: Actually, as you know, Charlie Hebdo, it's not the the first time they do something outrageous and and, and unacceptable. For example, I mean, it is one thing to stand for freedom of speech, but it's also, that freedom of speech comes also with responsibility. Like,
2: are there people in the man- mainstream that have um, called out Charlie Hebdo or that have called out the backlash Mariam is receiving?
0: Yes, of course, but they are, it's the same minority of public figures. Unfortunately, the media and our political uh, figures have all you know, stood against her, and that's problematic.
2: What's their argument?
0: It's either laicite, but what I don't mention laicity is that because she wears a headscarf, she has no place in a mobilization. And this, again, actually shows a crisis of the normalization of Islam. Why? Because Muslims are part of everyday life. They are no longer hiding or accepting to be like second-class citizens. And for the generations that accepted to how can I say pledge allegiance to white supremacy, they proved to us when they are sixty today that their choice was a failure and that those who, who that the future lies with those who stand up and speak up and stand for whatever the republic is proposing them in terms of rights and liberties.
2: Yes, sir, do you have anything have you seen anything positive come out of this debate? My last question.
0: Actually the positive debate is that the other student union the, the other sorry the positive outcome of this debate is that other student unions have stood with Mayen Pushtoo and that the people who stood uh, with Mayen Pushtoo they come from the radical tradition so to me to put it simply the future of France does not lie with its elites, but lies with its radical grassroots movement
3: Brilliant. That was that was a really really interesting interview actually. Um I'm sure there's some stuff that lots of you will have uh, really agreed with, lots of stuff that you some perhaps might not have agreed with. I think that was the same in the office. I mean, it was really, really interesting. Um, we would actually get in touch with us. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, right, we're running out of time, but briefly, back by popular demand, uh, is the Hope Not Hate Mail section of the podcast. Um, as many of you know, we get a large amount of hate mail here at Hope Not Hate on a daily basis. I mean, it keeps us going each day in We've the morning. we
2: nearly fond of it, haven't we?
3: Absolutely we have. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and, and some of it ranges from the actually very threatening and horrible <laughs> to the um, occasionally ludicrous and amusing so I've got um, I've got a few pieces we've picked a few pieces out of our, our hate mail box um, and I've got an absolute belter to start off with I won't read it all because it's very long uh, this person didn't leave a name please leave your name we always like it when you leave your name um, and your address now I'm, <laughs> I'm joking right so this guy writes or, or it could be a woman it says I don't know if your organisation is mostly made up of black people or Muslims trying to take our land or if you are a bunch of border. Bought- paid for, anti-fascist thugs, or if you're a bunch of well-meaning, useful idiots and hence traitors. <laughs>
2: Can we take ABC?
3: Well, well actually, I was going to say that, between between <laughs> those three, that's all of us. Um, which of these groups, you mostly, I th- he says Gristov, I don't care, because whatever you are, you are bad for our he writes "guntry" rather than "country." He's Maybe he
2: likes guns.
3: Well, he's put it as a it's a G, but I mean, I think he means country, obviously. And our people. Uh, then there's some stuff about kind of white genocide and the New World Order and Jewish elites. This is kind of the general stuff. Um, so then he goes, "Leave my country whoever you are, uh, you and your anti fascist bully boys, make me sick." That's in bold. Uh, <laughs> this is the guntry of the Britons uh, has been for twelve thousand years and longer. So bleep off. Um, we don't want your multiculturalism or your diversity. Crawl back under your stone. Uh, then just a little PS, they should bring back the death penalty for treason. Um, so, good as I, I say, thank you for that. We really enjoyed that one in the office. Please, again, as I say, give us a return address. We'd love to get back to you. That one's going straight up on the notice board. Yeah. I don't
2: think I can top this, Joe, at least not for the letter, but I have a pretty uh, envelope because it's coloured. Uh, red, Mul- multi- green and multi- blue. Multicoloured, you might say. There- oh, that's
3: uh, <laughs> good. Multicoloured.
2: Is there a, a flag or that, you know, maybe there's a secret sign in all this. Red,
3: green and blue. Not one I can think of. But they've used a ruler, which I appreciate.
2: Yeah, that's impressive. So... Hope not hate aka virtue signaling not rational thought aka George Soros not the British state hmm. aka anti-democracy not pro-democracy lots of synonyms and anthems there this nice. guy is on fire um, and he actually got our address right afterwards but i'm surprised like the postman here must just be really enjoying himself <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, it's really. I mean, well, we, it's some lovely little colours on it. It's really nicely done.
2: Yeah.
3: If um, the envelope was empty, which was a shame.
2: huh Well, um, maybe he's working on the inside message. Yeah,
3: me and look, that's the sort of thing. Like, if you're going to send it,
2: and always why did put some say money he? in it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> Donations.
1: That's what we need. <laughs> I can top it. Yeah, this is a belter. This might be one of the finest pieces of hate mail. I don't even know if, if this <laughs> is this this vol- hate mail. This, this is, is, is a hope a p- and hate mail. This is everything. This, this is, is encouragement. This is terrifying. This good. is all over the shop. I'm just going to start. I'm a 75-year-old plow, proud, true blue, Tory-voting Englishman who can remember when the Windrush passengers first arrived and we were asked to invite them into our homes to make them feel very welcome. Good lad. Not too bad, not too bad. Then came the Asians for the same reasons, but they came and are still coming in greater numbers. Then we had the Orientals coming, <laughs> now it's the Eastern Europeans. Never have the Muslims been recruited to do these jobs, but we seem to have more and more mosques being built, even in a small island off the coast of Scotland. Does
2: he realise Asians can be Muslims? How many How many Is mosques... What's what this, this mosque on the coast of Scotland? There is actually... I remember a news story about it recently. Like, there's uh, some Muslims that grouped together and built uh, some kind of mosque over there.
1: All right. Going on, um, so you must please keep up your fight against this awful religion spreading <laughs> and ruining our country. Who does he no, think we are? I wonder what he's been reading. That's confused me slightly. Yeah, London has already been taken over by Asians and Muslims, and the eastern part has changed into a dirty, rundown area, which is spreading further and further afield. The next bit is in all caps. You lot seem to be our only hope. <laughs> 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 I just, I just don't know where these guys go. It's brilliant. Please, absolutely brilliant. Please don't go the way of the EDFL the, or, or the, the National Front. The, 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 the EDFL. It's a, isn't that an electric company? <laughs> <In> France. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. Um, and resort to violent protests. He gives us a bit of advice. You need to give more interviews and get into universities. Mm. And then uh, he signs off with a really, really nice message. It is a pity that I'm too old to be active in your party as you are. Breath of fresh air. Please keep up the good work. Regards, Ron. <laughs>
3: This Ron, Shout out to Ron, I mean, he's clearly got us wrong, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean,
2: we'll take the compliments anyway.
3: Yeah, and again, once again, Ron, please, we're happy to take donations if you can't become an activist. <laughs> Um, that's a belting piece there I mean actually you'd be surprised how often that happens how we get phone calls where people turn up and say can I speak to Britain first please or like they ring up and of course we always say yes you must be doing something Um, wrong yeah (laughs) absolutely brilliant okay Um, that's all we've got time for this week I hope you enjoyed it Uh, as we say please do subscribe please do stick it on social media please give us some reviews on wherever you download it from that would be great Um, follow us on social media send us your feedback all that sort of stuff and thank you once again for joining us and and, uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers.
2: Or hearing you. Hearing well, actually, you. we don't hear them.
3: No, that's true. Yeah, we don't hear or see them. But thanks for coming and come back. <laughs> <laughs>